Welcome to Implement This with Microsoft Business Solutions MVP Britta Rexted and co-host Matthew C. Anderson, where we have an insider's discussion around the things we consider when implementing Dynamics 365. In today's episode, sponsored by Anogic, Britta and I continue our discussion about our favorite things for Salesforce automation deployments. Analytics by Analogic is a market-leading certified for Microsoft Dynamics 365 geo-analytical mapping app. Maplytics empowers users with powerful map visualization and routing capabilities within Dynamics CRM to drive better sales, improve business processes, and engage right customers at the right time. Maplytics now works with Dynamics 365 version 9.0 and Dynamics 365 app for mobile and tablet. Anogic is a leading Microsoft Gold Dynamics CRM ISV, delivering best-in-class Dynamics 365 solutions, as well as cost-effective and high-quality programming services. We thank Anogic for their sponsorship, and now, on with the show. And here we are, back in time for another episode of Implement This. Hi, Britta. How are you? Good. How are you, Matt? I am doing really well. Excited for the day. Me too. I am antsy to keep talking about sales. I, I know we already started that conversation, but there's so much that we didn't get to, and I feel like we need to wrap that up. Some more of our favorite things? Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. It's too many to fit into one episode, <laughs> so round two. Here we go. All right. So I want to get talking about um, showing off the data. We talked a little bit about, in the last episode, about structuring data and um, you know, using things like field mapping and quick forms and getting data in the right place. But once we have it, it's really important to have it easily accessible. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to talk about global search and specifically global search for sales. Okay. How you like to utilize that for the most bang for your buck. Yeah. So I guess the the first thing I want to do is do a little disambiguation of Mm -hmm. global search because that can mean a few different things, especially spread across different versions of CRM. So uh, when I think about global search in the the most primary sense is that I want to be able to type a search into one box and have it bring back matching results from different types of entities. Uh, this has been a long time ask from the Dynamics community since the early days. And there have been ISV solutions out there to be able to stitch that together over time. But in 2015, we ended up getting our first implementation of this this global search uh, called category search. So, you know, that was kind of our, our first teaser on it. So I'd like to talk a little bit about category search. I'd also like to talk a little bit about relevant search. I know we have an episode where we talk about configuring and setting up relevant search, which is great. Mm-hmm. But some of the why it's important, what the right use cases are for category versus relevant search is uh, another one. Yeah, I think that's great. Cool. So starting with category search, the the basic idea here is in the navigation menu, you type in a search term or multiple search terms using things like, you know, the the star uh, at the um, star operator to be able to have kind of a wild card in there for different records. So there's a little bit of training that can go into that if people are, you know, not used to kind of how to search within there. But once you get your search term in, you've got uh, basically a web page that comes up in the main portion of CRM, and it's going to give you any results from multiple entities. And this can be configured for uh, any of the entities that you have within Dynamics. Including custom. Yes, including custom entities. Uh, By default, we have the, the COLAC entities, so contact, opportunity, account, lead case 
tasks, I think. Are yeah, uh, yeah, activities mm-hmm. um, are, are all in there. So uh, it kind of gives that. And, you know, as a starting point, uh, it's it's great to have as, as something so you don't have to educate a salesperson. Hey, before you go in and put that lead into the system, make sure that you go search your accounts and search your opportunities and search your leads to make sure it's not there. Mm-hmm. That's an awful lot of work to ask a salesperson to do before they go put in a lead. You know, one of their one of their jobs in a lot of sales roles is to go find more business. So why are you why are you making it more difficult from a system standpoint to do that? It's also important for people who are newer to the system and haven't figured out all the entities yet. I mm-hmm. used to spend a lot of time in user training, kind of in follow up training sessions where someone would say I know I need the phone number, but I have no idea which of these records it's on. Mm-hmm. And so that can help uh, separate it a little bit so you don't have to have people memorize what entities are for what uh, while they're first easing in. Mm-hmm. It's a nice beginner tool, too. Yeah. Yeah, and a uh, couple couple of things about the category search, and I suppose this is true for relevant search as well, but it is supported on the mobile device. So it'll work on the phone or on the tablet with the out-of-the-box Dynamics mobile app. So there's there's value to it there as well. But there is a consideration around some of the training for it. I mean, the first time it comes back, it's not it's not the typical search experience that most people are used to, uh, because the the each each different record type has its own column. And you kind of have to swipe back and forth or scroll back and forth to be able to see the records for each of the different record types. Mm-hmm. Um, another another thing as far as uh, training is concerned, and this one I know I've seen clients get tripped up a couple of times in just scenarios we hadn't contemplated when we were uh, doing the initial design, is that not all fields are by default a searchable field that's going to come back in that category search. And there are... There are plenty of resources out there, uh, including the Dynamics documentation site, that explain how to be able to set up what those search fields are. Mm-hmm. But what those don't necessarily hit on as much is what should you be thinking about when you're considering what fields should actually be searchable within that? Because there's a there's a balance between too few and on the other side of that, too many. If you have too few, it can be difficult to find things. You know, the client example I was thinking of uh, that I was talking about a moment ago is there would, uh, typing in a customer's full name, first name, last name, wasn't returning any results. Um, You know, short story or long story short on that is the, uh, the way the full name was being stored was last name comma first name. And it just, it wasn't finding the right information. And we didn't have both the first name and last name separately being searched. Oh, okay. Whoops-a-daisy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the other thing is, learn. you know, when somebody uh, would type in just a first name, if they didn't have the asterisk at the beginning, that wild card, they wouldn't find that person's name. Um, there's a great CRM tip of the day blog uh, by George Dubinsky where um, in a very... Uh, very fun way he goes through the the wild card uh, and the use of that wild card in searches i'll try to grab a link of that for the for the show notes if anybody wants oh, okay. to read a little bit more on that but the the thing to keep in mind is yeah you know choosing those search fields is important to make sure people get records back mm-hmm. 
Now, other side of that, of course, is if you have too many search fields enabled, A, you're going to get too much information back, and B, the performance of the search is going to suffer because there's just more, more records that are, more fields on more records that are going to have to be searched to be able to get the information you want. Mm -hmm. And there, it's not so much that we can just publish a best practice list of these are all the fields that you should turn on. It has to do with what your users are going to be searching on. And so um, you have to think about their day. I have one client who it was really smart. They put in all of their searches phone numbers and even partial phone numbers because mm -hmm. a lot of their people are responding to voicemails. And so a lot of times they don't know who called. All they have is the phone number. Yeah. And so that's really dominant in their search where for another organization phone number, you might be looking for the phone number and all you have is the name. Yeah. And so in a lot of cases you can have both, but you want to think about what information do they already have? Because that's what they're going to use to search. And then what is it that they're looking for when yeah. they get there? Yeah. And, you know, phone number is another great example of uh, consistency of how data is being stored in the system. You know, phone number fields are pretty, pretty wide open as far as how that information is going to get stored, at least out of the box. Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, one place if you if you do know people are going to be searching by phone number, also consider something like, do we need to standardize how these phone numbers are going to be stored? That way when you're searching, you know you can, you know, type in yes, we type in the dash or no, it's not going to be a dash. Might it be a period instead of a a dash or you know well, we have parentheses around the area code. What about country codes? All those questions of how that's done, you know, if that's going to be a search field, those become very relevant mm -hmm. as far as uh, how, you're, how you're structuring that data going in. Yeah, definitely. At this point, we're using code for that. I hope that's something, I, I think it's tricky for Microsoft to just standardize that because mm -hmm. there are so many ways of doing phone numbers and then... Um, you don't want to be the ugly American and just assume that everybody formats them the way that, you know, we do in Minnesota. It's not, that's not accurate. Yeah. And so, um, at this point that's still code, uh, but usually it tends to be code that's worth it. I'm not big on code and for number formatting code tends to be worth it to me. Yeah. And that's one where, uh, especially for those phone number fields on contacts specifically, Contacts being one of those entities that is often synchronized with your Outlook. Mm -hmm. And there, it's going to be a wide open field when you're typing it in there. When it gets synchronized into CRM, there can be kind of a power struggle, control issue question over way. I, I had my the phone number in here in a very specific way, but when it pushed to CRM, it came back and it looked different. I don't like that. This is This is my you know, contact here and <clears throat> you can get into some of those types of those types of conversations. So, you know, it's another it's another place where, you know, that that phone number field is a little bit special because of all the different variations, kind of where it can be used, how it can be used in that integration with with Outlook. Mm. So we've strayed a little bit from the the beginning of this where we were talking about global search and you know here we've gone through some category search. I'd like to bring it back around and talk about relevance search. Uh, I know we did cover this in another episode talking a bit more about relevance search. However, just as a con contrast point to the category search, this is one where when somebody types in their search term, it's going to be again looking across different record types so that part doesn't change but it's the way the information is returned is going to be a little bit more 
like what you're used to if you go out and you do a, a search with a, one of the standard search engines, you know, a Google or a Bing or you know whatever whatever other you know, Duck Duck Go if that's your thing, uh, because everything is going to be kind of ranked and brought back to you in one consolidated list, um, and then you do have ways to filter that down using information, different facets of your data to be able to look at, you know, when it was modified or who the owner is, or, uh, you know, again, there, we, we talk about this more in the other episode and there are great resources online to be able to, uh, see how you can work with that data, but it is a little bit different of an experience. Um, so have you, have you run into kind of preferences from people as far as whether they are using category search or using relevance search? Is it, a bit of a mishmash, hodgepodge. Yeah, I haven't gotten a clear line of delineation on that yet. I think um, in a lot of cases, old habits die hard, and so people are used to category search because we've had it longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it be interesting to see uh, how the shift moves towards relevant search the longer we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of depends. I think the use case really matters, too, depending on the user and what they're, what they're digging for and the level of complexity both in their search and then, you know, it, uh, it's interesting. I, have you seen a clear winner yet or a way people are leaning? No, uh, and it, it's not even client by client. It seems to be person by person. Mm. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is make sure you teach people how to switch back and forth between the two. Because <laughs> uh-huh. um, inevitably two different salespeople are going to compare their search results and they're going to look radically different because one's using category search, the other's using relevance search. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's kind of a in anything that you can switch. Make sure people both know it is possible to switch and know it exists because that's another kind of support call you get where she doesn't have the thing. It's like, well, she does. Just you're on a different screen, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And so, yeah, teaching them to flip back and forth is great, and the people will gravitate. Something I tell users all the time is that Microsoft is great at giving us five ways to do the same thing, mm-hmm. and that's to free you up to do it the way that works for you. And so. Um, if you help people understand, it's not that they have to use everything. You know, these particular features are optional. We're just trying to help you out, gravitate towards what feels natural for you. They'll find their way there. Okay, cool. So let's move on from uh, category or all the global search stuff. And let's move on to another one of my favorite things, which is the use of shared personal views as a way to provide uh, more rich experience for having salespeople find data. Um, do you ever do this? All the time. And I, I love, uh, using teams for it, Mm -hmm. um, because it's a huge nightmare trying to, uh, trying to make sure it's shared with the right people. And then a new person joins the team and then you don't remember who made that Mm -hmm. view in the first place and all those things. And so, um, both for, for views, charts, and dashboards, I like to have yes. sub-teams. So even if it's really small, it might just be a deal team if you're working on a really big deal. You've got mm-hmm. a short-term team and all of the views, dashboards, personal charts, anything like that that comes into play should all be um, – I like it being assigned to that team, but at least being shared with it. And then yep. you just have to add people. That makes life so much easier. Yeah. And, you know, the the high-level use case you touched on a couple there, I mean, what, what often comes to mind is – People want to have kind of standardized views of information, uh, but they aren't necessarily ones that make sense as a system view where it's going to be available for everyone in the organization. Mm-hmm. And you know the 
the potentially confusing thing from a salesperson standpoint, and this is very addressable with the right uh, kind of introduction and training on it, is that while it shows up as a personal view in the list, you know, system versus personal, it really is a shared view. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like I'll use naming and a very structured way of naming things as how we differentiate those. So uh, a couple of other things on the on that is that you know now with the the app building that you have within the Dynamics platform to be able to further tailor the experience, you know I haven't started to see it in projects much yet, but I suspect that some of the kind of team shared views may go the way of being a system view in the future. And, you know, that team may have kind of their own app mm-hmm. uh, as the front end to that information. And I'm sure, you know, in another episode, we'll talk about the the app structure within Dynamics as a way of, you know, presenting a tailored experience for people. But, you know, that's one where I think I don't want to let the, the history and experience going back to, you know, many prior versions of Dynamics have that, that capability get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Something that my students and I just talked about very recently. So I have a study group for people who are getting into careers and dynamics. And something we talked about is that personal views are the best friend of the persnickety user. (laughs) Um, Everyone has at least one. If you don't know who the persnickety user is in your organization, it's you. Uh, Every organization has one. Um, Most have several. And uh, that's the person who you can't quite appease because mm-hmm. it's never exactly what they want. And as, as we said in the last episode, don't just give that person their own form. That's not the solution. But teach them personal views. <laughs> and so um, I, I'm always looking for that on every project, who that person is, because I just I know they exist already. Mm-hmm. And so when the person comes back and they're like, Ugh, I just really want those to be in a different order, or I don't care about that field. I really need cell phone instead. Um, teach them to use those system views and then move things around. And... Um, befriend that person and equip them and give them tools instead of being annoyed that they're blowing up your scope and slowing you down and all that. Give them, you know, personal views and then ask them to share them with you. Because a lot of times those people, they're finding the nuance to your process that didn't Mm -hmm. come up in requirements gathering. And so a lot of times you can learn a lot from those persnickety users as well. But but, um, personal views and dashboards are the best friend of those users because it gives them a little bit of control and a little bit of influence and... um, love on them and encourage them and appreciate the unique things that they come up with. And, um, it helps turn a lot of things around user adoption. Yeah. Sounds good. Also, uh, if anybody doesn't, uh, is curious, I'll include a link to the definition of persnickety. In the show notes. <laughs> I, I use that term more than I care to admit. Uh, but I have a feeling it, it may be regional or just, <laughs> it, it probably <laughs> is. Thank you for including that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, on the topic of views, I think let's get into um, how goal-oriented people, salespeople are. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get too bogged down in the thought that goals have to be goals in Dynamics. Yeah, so like the goals about, entity in Dynamics, yeah, necessarily. Yeah, I okay. love goals. I, I It's like one of those little... Uh, antique things that I collect, like A-track tapes or something. <laughs> I really love goals. I kind of learn dynamics on goals. So I'm one of the few people I know who actually really loves writing goals. Um, a lot of people don't. They're a little complicated. Um, but 
you can use that mentality, even like what we were just talking about in personal views. Personal views can be a great way for motivating goal-oriented people. Um, making dashboards really powerful. Or if you want to expand that a little bit, because, I mean, a dashboard is something you can do today mm-hmm. just to help with that sales motivation a little bit. But um, Power BI is obviously a way to really expand on that. Um, yeah. You can write the actual goals, and um, that's probably a whole episode unto itself, yeah. how to do that. Um, I, I would love to know your thoughts on using Excel templates for that kind of goal-oriented mindset. With yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a that's a great a great way to be able to empower that salesperson for a lot of kind of what if type of analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, having an Excel template that kind of pre-bakes some of the formulas that they might have to flag deals as, okay, if I close, you know, these five, where does that put me? And if this one slips out and these other one, you know, what do I have to have in there to make up for it? Excel is very familiar territory for people to go through that kind of crunching of information. And it's rather straightforward to be able to put together a, a, an Excel template with some of those types of formulas kind of pre-baked in there for them. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a great one to be able to get them both excited about the Excel template itself as well as you know why they want to have some of that information in the system is they can they can see it there. Uh, that that's also one where if you say have quarterly goals or annual goals, whatever those are, you can uh, make some updates to that uh, within your actual your actual Excel template itself. So you have to be mindful of whether you know are, are everyone's quotas known or is it a team goal or or that kind of thing. You're not exposing information you shouldn't. But that's one of those places where if you're exporting opportunity information into a into an Excel template, you can bake in some of that goal information right into your model rather than trying to pull it out at the same time, which would require storing all of your goal information on opportunities or having some related. It just gets, it gets messy Mm -hmm. to do that. So I love that thought of not just using dashboards and goals and reports and that kind of thing to show what already happened. Because so much of a salesperson's life is figuring out what could potentially happen. It's mm-hmm. the what if scenarios, and it's you know if you lose this deal, what do you have to do to make up for it? And it's it's all of the tinkering and the daydreaming and the figuring out how life could end up. And I think that's a great point to not just focus your reporting on what happened after the fact, but to equip people with tools to play with that and yeah. figure out how they're tracking. Um, what their commission might look like, you know, those kinds of things. It's really interesting to give them that proactive tool. So CRM isn't just tattling to their boss on how they did, yeah. but also equipping them to do better. Yeah, em- empowering them and giving them a way to get some of that information actually out of the system rather than just always asking for more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to give <laughs> something to back. Yeah. So how about, um, you know, are there other things when it comes to goals and that kind of thing that come to mind for you? Hmm, great question. I do, I really like gamification, uh, mm-hmm. and that is uh, surprisingly easy to set up. And so I think if you wanted to take it a step further, probably the the crawl is personal views and dashboards. Uh-huh. The the walk is maybe um, Excel templates, a little bit of Power BI, and mm-hmm. then the run is probably goals and gamification. Uh-huh. Kind of depends how much you're going to invest up front in time to get something set up, but then you also get a lot out of it too. Yeah. We already had an episode on gamification, so if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you probably want to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so with that, we've covered a f- 
good handful more of uh, some of our favorite things around Salesforce automation. So perhaps this is a good spot to wrap it for today. Yeah, I think just want to mention real quick at the end, uh, dig into mobile. There's so many great things for salespeople in mobile, and that's kind of probably have to be another conversation unto itself. But Mm -hmm. uh, definitely check out mobile task flows. They're kind of just Ah, for salespeople. That that salesperson mentality works really, really well with those. Um, And if you've already built out Dynamics, then it's very easy to um, expand those customizations in the mobile app. So honorable mention there. Uh, Check those out if you haven't already. All right. With that, sounds good. Have a good one, Britta. Thanks. You too, Matt. You've been listening to Implement This with Britta Rexted and Matthew C. Anderson. Do you have a business problem you'd like us to discuss on the show? Reach us through our website, implementthis.org, where you can also subscribe to the podcast. We're on Twitter, too. Britta is at MacGyverCRM, and I'm at MC Anderson. Thanks so much for listening.